HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Nutrislice, helping school nutrition programs who want to do a little more with their marketing communications. For more information, visit Nutrislice.com. I'm Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Inside School Food on the Heritage Radio Network. I am Laura Stanley, bringing you more shop talk about progressive solutions in K-12 food service. Uh, if you've been keeping up with the show in recent weeks, you know that we recently wrapped up with a suite of episodes in honor of Farm to School Month 2015. Um, these naturally focused on regional supply chains and smaller scale solutions. Uh, but most school food continues to flow through national supply chains, and we will likely always rely heavily on large national scale producers. So uh, shouldn't we try to get to know the big guys better on Inside School Food? I, I think that we do. Um, our last episode um, was with um, Lisa Feldman, with, who is Director of Culinary Services for Sodexo USA. And she got us off to a great start with a really engrossing discussion about her uh, how her company co-develops lower sodium, cleaner label products and... Uh, menu applications with some of the biggest processors uh, serving K through 12. So t- today's conversation is is a sequel to that one. I'm really pleased to be joined by two industry veterans from companies that are familiar to school food service professionals across the country. Uh, we're going to begin with David Halt, who is divisional vice president for food service at Red Gold, which is a longtime processor of staple tomato ingredients and condiments. Um, After station break, Shirley Brown of Rich's Food Service will talk to us about what's gone into reformulating staple grain items, things like rolls, flatbreads, and pizza crusts for a national mass market. So good morning, David, and welcome to Inside School Food. Good morning, Laura. Glad to be with you. Yeah, I'm so glad you could join us. Um, when I said that Red Gold was a longtime processor, I really meant it. It's been family-owned by the same family since 1942. Um, and the company, this is what I, tell me if I got this wrong, but I, I read that the company now buys up to 80% of the tomatoes grown in the Midwest. Is that right? 
That's correct. Yeah. Red Gold is a uh, family-owned corporation that uh, was an, one of the original tomato canners in Indiana. Mm-hmm. Most people don't know that canning tomatoes started in Indiana, and at one point there were over 100 tomato canners, small canners in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, there's very few left, and Red Gold is very much a surviving tomato processor canner. Yeah. And uh, we are responsible for purchasing uh, most of the tomatoes grown. Well, that, yeah, and so, and you process them into um, very familiar kinds of foods like canned tomatoes, tomato paste, juices, sauces, salsas, ketchups, and so forth. Um, and you are currently the largest supplier of tomato products to schools. Um, and 50% of that share is actually flowing through USDA foods. Is that right? Yes, the combination of both USDA foods and Red Gold does provide um, uh, most of that product. In addition to our own brands that are sold through Broadline Food mm-hmm. Service distributors and our work with the Broadline distributors in producing their brands of tomato products, Red Gold actually is, uh, if not uh, one of the largest tomato suppliers to schools. Mm-hmm. And certainly uh, we are the largest working with USDA with commodity processing. And the commodity for our products happens to be tomato paste. Mm -hmm. And uh, tomato paste is a very important ingredient in uh, in a number of the items that we produce and and market to K-12 schools. I want to talk a lot about tomato paste in a little bit. there's, as we know, there's been a lot of conversation about tomato paste in our world. Um, but first, I just want to say a little bit about you. You've spent 18 years at Red Gold, so you are you serve as a senior level executive. But as you told me, you're pretty intimate with the contents of every ketchup packet and spaghetti sauce jar. Well, one of the one of the great things of working for a privately held company is is that all the executives wear multiple hats. Mm-hmm. And I actually was brought to Red Gold 18 years ago to help develop our food service business. Mm-hmm. We were primarily a retail company. And I had spent the first 17 years of my career working for very large food service companies and took the uh, opportunity with Red Gold to build a food service division. And one of the segments that I had identified very early were Red Gold certainly could make a difference was the education segment, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. primarily K-12 schools and also college universities. And we've actually expanded that. Uh, We actually have a K-12 school team of professionals that are dedicated to that segment. And, um, you know, one of the best things we did was hire an industry expert. Her name is Jody Batten, and Mm -hmm. she has really helped our company lead uh, lead in the, our category and really work with the school districts to address some of their, their business needs mm-hmm. because of the changing USDA meal patterns and how can we be a strategic partner rather than just an ingredient supplier. Right, right. So let, let's talk about that. Um, you know, you, like uh, every other processor serving the school mar- market, has had to do a lot of work um, to come into compliance with the new nutrition rules mandated by Healthy Hunger-Free Kids Act. I mean, what, what, what would you say is the primary reformulation challenge for the tomato sector? Well, this is an easy one. <laughs> um, let's face it. Kids love products made from tomatoes. Mm. You know, they, they love spaghetti. They love pizza. They love salsa. And quite frankly, a lot of the, uh, the items that the schools bought before were the standard 
formulations that somebody would find in the, their retail grocery store. The kids would eat it at home, and they would eat the same things at school. However, tomato products historically have had a lot of sodium in them mm-hmm. uh, in retail and, um, and in food service. And so one of the things that became very evident to us very early with the new USDA meal pattern was the significant reduction in sodium. And um, so in order for the schools to continue serving items that kids really enjoyed eating, is it became clear that we had to significantly reduce the sodium in, in our product offering. And these are those same items, whether it was a spaghetti or a mar- marinara sauce for pasta or dipping, uh, or whether it was a pizza sauce, or, or even condiments, mm-hmm. ketchup and barbecue yeah, those are uh, tough sauce, ones. Yeah, yeah. and um, so that was that was our challenge. And so we did uh, about uh, nine nine to ten years ago. Uh, we attacked um, that this opportunity with uh, a lot of Red Gold has a lot of food scientists mm-hmm. that work for our company. And so we really addressed the the sodium that is in our products and tried to come up with ways to have great tasting foods, which is always the number one criteria, mm-hmm. but significantly reduce the sodium. And uh, fortunate for Red Gold, we were able to identify a number of ways to significantly reduce the sodium. Yeah, so, so that's so. what I want to hear about, you know. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, interrupt you. You were going to say so much so. Well, and, and I'll give you a really great example yeah. is uh, – Spaghetti and marinara sauce, a general serving size is one half cup. Mm-hmm. And if you were to buy those products in the grocery store, you know, they have nearly 500 milligrams of sodium in a half cup serving. And so what we have done is we've, we've reduced that, that to the point where they are now classified as low sodium, 140 milligrams per half cup. It's so this is nearly a reduction. 70% reduction yeah. Yeah. in sodium. But what's most important um, you can take sodium out, but the product still has to taste good, or else you know the kids or, or adults, for that matter, really won't won't eat those products. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's where that's where we've really addressed. So that's and I would love to know some of the tricks of the trade. How do you take the sodium out and keep the flavor in? Because there's some cool stuff going on here. There is, and and one of the things, uh, the first step was how much gratuitous sodium is in these products. How much could you reduce and actually? Um, not change the flavor very much at all, but have a significant reduction in sodium. And nine years ago, um, ourselves and other uh, tomato processors actually participated in the state of New York at a retail initiative to voluntarily reduce sodium by 15%. And um, we actually achieved that and reduced sodium and didn't have to do anything other than just reduce the amount of sodium. So nobody noticed, in other words. Yeah, and no one noticed from a flavor standpoint. Once you start reducing the sodium further than that, then you do need to do reformulations. And we did do reformulations in spaghetti and marinara and pizza sauce and salsa and ketchup. And one of the ways, simple ways, was removing sodium and uh, replacing it with potassium chloride, Mm -hmm. which does give a lot of the characteristics from a flavor standpoint. However, it does have its own flavor, and sometimes you have to uh, mask that flavor with other spices or, or other means uh, with potassium, if you use potassium chloride. Right, and, and Dean, I just want to interrupt you for a minute. Salt, to... You can use less sea salt and get the flavor uh-huh. uh, that you would from regular salt. So yeah. a lot of our formulas, we went to sea salt, we added potassium chloride, and that got us most of the way there, but quite frankly, not all the way to where we wanted to create low-sodium products that taste great. Yeah. So, so Red Gold uh, went one step further 
And um, we have identified a key ingredient that um, is really a, a highly concentrated tomato. Uh, most people don't realize this, but a tomato is, when you purchase a whole tomato, whether a produce tomato or, in our case, when we grow uh, grow it on our farms and mm-hmm. process it from our farmers, a whole tomato is 95% water. And so there's 5% tomato solids in there. So the challenge always is processing tomatoes is to concentrate it so that you can use it and make products. Just mm-hmm. like, like at home, uh, you cook down tomato sauce to make it thick and rich. So we do that on our side. And um, in addition to uh, cooking down tomatoes, we also use tomato paste, which is already uh, we've evaporated off a lot of the, the liquid, and we have a, a concentrate of tomatoes. But there is a process that you can actually further concentrate it by using a centrifuge system. And um, we've discovered this key ingredient, and what it does is add intense tomato flavor and sweetness. Um, and if you take away the salt, you don't miss it because of this intensified, yeah. intensified tomato flavor. Yeah, and that, that's really like the coolest thing. That I mean, of all the things that you've told me about how you've done that, that's that's the coolest thing. Um, so basically, you're reinstating some of that sweetness. And I, I wanted to say earlier that potassium chloride, I'm not sure that all our listeners know that that is actually a natural mineral. It's a salt. It's just not a sodium salt. And the issue with it, it's, so it's perfectly safe, obviously, but the issue with it is that it does um, impart some bitterness. And that's what you're um, kind of working with, with the added spices and the tomato concentrate and so forth, right? Absolutely. Right. And then you talked about sea salt. Um, and here's an interesting factoid um, that I didn't know before I talked to you. And that is that it is you, you, this, the same amount, like a sea salt is actually saltier um, per, per you know, volume or, or unit, and so um, you get more of a salty flavor with it. However, it adds cost. So that's an issue in developing products for schools. That is. And, and quite frankly, the, you know, if you wanted to significantly reduce sodium, you just take sodium out and do nothing differently. But mm-hmm. you have a problem that I stated, which is our number one criteria. You have to have a great tasting product that the kids will continue to enjoy eating. Right. So anything that you do um, to add to a formula, particularly when you bring food science into it by using these very unique ingredients, natural ingredients, but very unique, mm-hmm. certainly adds cost. Um, so that that was definitely our challenge with sodium. Our other challenges in reformulating products for the schools to meet the USDA meal patterns also dealt with um, the sweeteners that mm-hmm. were involved. And so we've made some, a number of changes. Um, moving away from high fructose corn syrup and moving to natural sugars, mm-hmm. cane sugar, beet sugar, um, and that makes a difference in the product. It makes uh, a cleaner label, um, but it also adds cost. And so these are some other things that, you know, you have to mitigate those costs by having a product that just is um, so great tasting and it meets the criteria for the USDA meal pattern mm-hmm. um, that the school districts feel comfortable using that product. The other thing that is really kind of unique to our products that we have an advantage with tomatoes is the sheer fact that um, tomato paste, uh, because I shared with you before, when you concentrate whole tomatoes, uh, tomato paste really delivers a lot of nutrition for a small amount of product. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, many of our products, you get the equivalent of two to, you know, at least one to two whole tomatoes. And as we all know, most 
can't get most kids to eat whole tomatoes, uh, but they'll certainly make eat products made from tomato paste. So because of the high, highly concentra- the high concentration of tomatoes into tomato paste and the products that we produce, you actually get red-orange vegetable crediting right. um, for, for serving sizes that are more typical of, of what you would serve in K-12 schools. Right. I wanted to ask you about that because, of course, there was, as we all know, there was controversy over that um, uh, back in 2011, and there were certain activists that were saying that the USDA now is calling pizza a vegetable because tomato paste counts as a vegetable. Um, how, how much tomato paste counts as a vegetable serving under USDA rules? Well, tomato paste, actually all you need is uh, a tablespoon serving. Mm-hmm. Um, it actually is the equivalent of one to two whole tomatoes. Um, most people don't serve tomato paste, but certainly a lot of items are made from tomato paste. Mm-hmm. And I'll give you a great example is uh, salsa. Between the tomato paste and the actual tomatoes in it, um, a three-ounce serving of salsa actually contains the equivalent of two whole tomatoes. Mm-hmm. And it also credits uh, a three-ounce serving, credits as a half-cup red-orange vegetable. Right, right, right. But back to the pizza, I mean, how much pizza sauce, which is tomato paste-based, would you have to put on the pizza for in order to get um, a vegetable credit? You get uh, the pizza sauce uh, on a pizza. Generally, you would you would only qualify for about an eighth of a cup, mm-hmm. or or sometimes a quarter cup, depending on how much is on a slice of pizza. Mm-hmm. So even though the it it credits, it doesn't credit for a full half cup. Uh, the, the requirements for red orange vegetables for an entire week are three quarter cups if you're a K through 12 and mm-hmm. uh, one and a quarter cups if you're nine through 12. And that's for the whole week. So obviously some items like the sauce on a pizza only get you a quarter of a cup crediting. But one of the strategies that we've pointed out to the school districts is kids love to dip. Mm-hmm. And so if you served uh, pizza sauce on the side or if you served a spaghetti or marinara sauce on the side of pizza and actually uh, have the kids dip their pizza and their mm-hmm. and or their crust, you actually get a lot more crediting for red-orange vegetables. Okay, but we, we but we definitely cannot say that pizza is a vegetable. I just no, it, no, uh, actually we don't agree that pizza is a no. vegetable either. But uh, pizza sauce actually would credit uh, a small amount towards yeah, the, exactly. the serving. Exactly. Uh, so, so David, you know, I, I also just want to make sure that we get to the um, you know what you see on your website. I want people to understand that there's there's actually a, a two product lines. There's there's one that's um, identified as better nutrition made simple, um, and they are distinct. They basically are, are set apart by um, uh, all natural ingredient profiles. Um, like for instance, I'm looking at your spaghetti sauce um, label, and it says tomato concentrate. Sugar, less than 2% of soybean oil, potassium chloride, which we talked about, onion powder, spices, salt, citric acid, garlic powder, vitamin C, black pepper, vitamin E, natural flavor, vitamin A. I mean, that's it. It's, it's, all, it's all good stuff. Um, are these items available via a USDA brown box? Well, that's a good question. We actually did create an entire lineup of products Mm -hmm. that we call nutritionally enhanced. And they're nutritionally enhanced because they're low sodium. They are fortified Mm -hmm. uh, with vitamins, actually, A, C, and E, 
uh, as and classified as a good source. Mm-hmm. And then finally, uh, we've replaced any of the high fructose corn syrups with simple sugars. Right. Um, so those are the things that we did. USDA foods, unfortunately, their specification is for low sodium. And uh, the way that USDA works is, is that they put out a solicitation to all qualified manufacturers, and, and they have a, um, a specification that all manufacturers must abide by. Unfortunately, the only thing that's not specified is taste. Mm-hmm. And so when the specification is for low sodium and you don't do some of the things to compensate for removing the salt, you end up with a product that, quite frankly, doesn't taste very good. And USDA Foods actually recognized that uh, a year and a half ago and pulled spaghetti sauce off of their USDA Foods offering for K-12 schools because Uh a lot of the schools, although they appreciated the fact they got a low-sodium product, they couldn't get. They didn't like what they got, and mm-hmm. so they've spent some time reformulating and actually working with industry, including our company, as to some of the things that they could do to to make products that still tasted great and met and help the schools meet their low sodium requirements. And you know, one of the simplest things is get to back to you know add spices, and but spices are very costly. Yeah. And so the dilemma is if you must award to the low cost bitter, and there's no requirement or specification for taste is that really it's up to the manufacturer to add spices to make it taste good, but he may lose the bid. So that that is the dilemma that current that USDA Foods is currently facing. Mm-hmm. But they recognize it, and you know, with a number of their vegetables, I think there's other vegetables that either have a no salt added or a low sodium specification. That we're trying to figure out ways that through adding natural spices and simple sugars that you can make things taste better. Yeah, well, that, I look I look forward to that happening. But in the meantime, it, um, I, I guess your your better nutrition made simple line um, is only available on the open market. You can't use your entitlement spending yet to get that. But uh, we, we look forward to uh, the day that we can. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about nutritionally uh, enhanced products. And like I say, we have a little bit of an advantage with tomatoes because they're inherently a simple product, and a lot of our ingredients, um, you know, they have very clean labels to begin with. Right. Um, not quite the challenges that some other categories have. Which we are about to hear about, yeah, yeah. So you, you don't have big concerns about Target 2. You're pretty much there already, right? Absolutely. Okay. Our foods actually all qualify as low-sodium products, so yeah. we're, we're prepared to help the school districts meet phase two. Yeah, great, great. Well, David, this has been a great learning experience, so thank you so much for talking tomatoes with us today. My pleasure. Thank you. You are listening to Inside School Food. Today's episode is about reformulation by two of the biggest national processors supplying the school market. We've been speaking with David Halt of Red Gold. Uh, After station break, we'll hear about the move to lower-sodium, whole-grain-rich breads and pizza crusts with Shirley Brown of Rich's Food Service. Today's program was brought to you by Nutrislice. Nutrislice wants to see you succeed. They help school nutrition programs who want to do a little more with their marketing communications. 
Nutrislice is all about helping people increase their nutrition IQ. Their products are designed to engage, educate, and inspire greater levels of personal wellness. Whether you're interested in communicating the virtues of your nutrition program, upping your game in the fight against childhood obesity, saving money, or becoming more innovative, Nutrislice has the tools for you. They can help you reduce food waste by getting kids excited about eating healthy foods. Is your program serving healthy foods but not getting the credit it deserves? Nutrislice can help you communicate all the great things you're doing to parents, students, school administrators, and the community. They can also help you gain critical customer insights to your business. They've worked with the most innovative school nutrition programs in the country, big and small, and their experience speaks for itself. Get in touch today to see what Nutrislice can do for you. That's Nutrislice.com. Hey, this is Erica Wides, the host of Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food on Heritage Radio Network. And I have been a host on Heritage Radio Network since almost day one, because Patrick Martins and I go way back to Slow Food in New York when he was running Slow Food. And he got in touch with me one day and he said, hey, I'm starting a radio station. Uh, I hear you've been doing some radio. And I said, oh, my God, can I have a show? And he said, how much time do you want? An hour? And I said, let's start with half an hour. And it's been half an hour a week ever since, since uh, the spring of 2009. So that's a long time to be sitting here in the station talking every week, 30 minutes. And as you know, we've had many, many more hosts and many, many more shows since then. And we've grown to be a major presence in independent Internet radio. But we need your help because we are supported by you, our listeners. So you need to check out our new website, HeritageRadioNetwork.org, and click on that little beating heart and give us some love. We need you to become a member and support us so that we can keep doing this for many, many more years to come. Welcome back. I just have to say I really love Erica's show. You might want to check it out. And I fully agree with her. Um, you know, Inside School Food would not be here for you if it weren't for the technical resources and amazing staff support they offer us. So as Erica said, to give, go to um, heritageradionetwork.org and click on that beating heart. Any amount, small or large, is much appreciated. Um, so we are back with Shirley Brown um, from uh, Rich's Food Service. Um, I decided to start today's conversation about product reformulation with processed tomato items because the companies that produce them for the school market have had a much easier time of it than, for instance, the large processors that manufacture breads, and pizza crusts. So um, Dr. Shirley Brown of Rich's Food Service will do her best to introduce us to what is and continues to be an enormous and really fascinating set of technical challenges. Um, Shirley, I'm so glad you could join us today. Oh, thank you, Laura. I'm glad to be here with you and have enjoyed Join uh, listening to David talk about the <laughs> the Red Goal experience as well. <laughs> they have a lot of similarities. <laughs> it's true, but doesn't it sound easy compared to what you have to do? It does. Yes, <laughs> you're looking at one uh, vegetable and what you have to do to to work with it. 
when you get into the bakery side, we had several different challenges that came, but Rich's was certainly up to it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I just want to introduce you briefly. You're, you're something of an iconic figure in this industry. You've been for Rich's at for 41 years. Um, and as and now you are director of product training, so you're familiar to... I think probably thousands of school nutrition professionals who have participated in your in-service seminars on baking and menu planning and nutrition. And I, I just wonder how many of them know that you were practically um, born to the trade. <laughs> you want to tell us about that? <laughs> uh, probably. My uh, grandmother uh, was in school food service. Uh, she was, uh, in fact, the, the first uh, school cook and baker that we had in the school where I attended and actually started the uh, food service program for us in that little rural school that we uh, had a lot of migrant children that came through the program and there was a great need for feeding them and mm-hmm. uh, so my father happened to be on the school board at the time and was helped was instrumental in getting the program into our schools and and then my mother also joined and became the school baker and so they both retired from school food service and I just always went straight to the cafeteria when I went to school wow. I thought that's where everybody did. <laughs> well, and so now here you are with a doctorate in food and nutrition, and you are working on product development for millions of children, which is a big change from what they did. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and how, how big is Rich's presence in school food service? Oh, my goodness. Uh, we, uh, you know, uh, because we're a frozen food manufacturer and we go through distributors uh, throughout the nation, it's sometimes hard to really tell how many we, we are servicing, but well over 10,000-plus schools, mm-hmm. you know, use some of our variety of products. We have such a, a wide variety of products uh, in our line. Um, and we, like Red Gold, have a dedicated uh, sales team for the K-12. In addition to that, they are trainers. We train them. That's part of my job is to provide them with the information they need to help our customers uh, use our products in their menus and find different ways to incorporate them to meet the regulations. So Mm -hmm. uh, I'm kind of the key in between USDA regulations and our school team and putting together programs to help them go out and train our customers to use the products. And they do. They go right into the kitchens and work with the people. It's a lot of hands-on training. Right, right. So so as you said, Rich just makes a wide range of products. Um, and I think people are familiar that there's a lot of things you make for breakfast and a selection of heat and serve lunch entrees. But for today, let, let's uh, stick with um, the savory staple whole grain rich items so the rolls the pizza crusts and the flatbreads um i believe everything that you make is sold frozen so it's either par baked or sold as a dough is that right Primarily, yes, in that mm-hmm. category it is. Um, that was one of the things that, uh, you know, I saw many years ago, the uh, need for it in the schools because we had frozen doughs. And, you know, again, when my mother and and uh, years after that, they were baking from scratch. They were using commodity flours and commodity ingredients and making things from scratch. And here was a way we found to offer a dough product that you could bake from scratch. It's mm-hmm. a speed scratch method, but also having the control of your portion size, which I knew was important when you were planning menus and giving variety to the children. And there's nothing like something fresh coming out of the oven. It just turns on the appetite. So when yeah, a, a school can good. be baking, it just permeates throughout the school and, mm-hmm. and it really does turn on the appetites for the kids. So they 
brings them to the cafeterias. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where I think that we had been manufacturing, you know, dough products for a long time, and there certainly was something that I saw appropriate for schools and showing it to them and seeing the excitement again that they could come back to baking because a lot of them had gotten away from that Mm -hmm. because they didn't feel they had the skill levels. But with the frozen dough, you can quickly train someone to do a good job. And uh, that's what I've been doing for over 40 years with the products. Yeah. Yeah. So, so at some point you, not that long ago, you had to uh, simultaneously introduce whole grain, uh, 50% whole grain into formulation while, while while reducing sodium at the same time. I mean, is it possible to separate these challenges or, or they, do they kind of work together as a piece? Well, they actually do. In the Baker products, they do work together as a piece because sodium is such an important part of the formulation when you're doing a bakery product. As you know, you know, flour is uh, in a baker's formula is 100%, and everything else is percentage of that 100%. So it's one of the rare occasions when you come out with more than 100% when you put things together. Mm -hmm. And so with salt, you've got a lot of functions that it has to do. And then when you have a whole grain, product, you've got to adjust your formulas with that as well because you're coming in with a heavier product, more density, uh, more color, more um, grainy texture. So, you know, when we had both those things to approach, uh, we had actually started well before the regulations came out in 2012 with the whole grain rich uh, definition, we had started working on a lot of whole grain products because not only our food service but our in-store bakery division was asking for more grainy type breads, more mm-hmm. earthy breads. And so we had started that back in probably 2007, 8, or 9, really trying to introduce more of those and testing them. And so we thought we were really going to be kind of ready to go with all of this when the formulation was there and the new regulations came out. Our biggest surprise with the new regulations was the fact they put a maximum serving size on grains. We'd never had that before. It was always a minimum, and we knew we could meet minimums, but then they put maximums on, and we thought, oh my goodness, here we had developed all these products that were approximately the same size of what we were offering before whole grain rich, and we thought we were okay, and then we came out, and the challenge was to serve them but not overserve. And so we had to go back. We went to USDA and, and many of the manufacturers. We kind of went together and started talking to them and said, you know, isn't there some way you can relax those regulations mm-hmm. because that's very hard to meet. Right. And they, you know, they did come out and said, we have a temporary relaxing. Well, that helped us a little but not a lot because we'd already spent hundreds of thousands of dollars reformulating uh, repackaging, relabeling, you know, yeah, and then yeah. here we had to take a look at all those things again, and so we went back and uh, said, you know, can you give us an indication? Is this going to be a permanent relaxation so that we can also go to our distributors who are now stocking these products and saying, you know, we they're not going to give us extra slots for all these different sizes of products. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there was a, there were so many challenges within that simple little change that was made, and I don't think USDA really realized the impact 
of some of those regulations at the time. And they really did take a look at it. And I have to compliment them in the fact that, you know, for the, the very first time that I've worked over with them over the years, they were really looking at it and considering it and did come back with some relaxation. They, they, they added flexibilities to those regulations. And so we were finally able to kind of find the, the niche that we needed to fit into and what did we have to address and what could we postpone or, or delete from it. Right. And, and so that was one of the things. Uh, they left the maximum calories on, which was good because you could use that as your judge. And then you can come and add your menu planning into it. Right. Um, so so this, was, is, this is just a piece a of a plug. very, very complicated uh, package of things you had to deal with. I just want to backtrack a, a sec. Just mm-hmm. for listeners who don't bake, um, you told us that salt is very important. Can you tell us why in a yeast bread item you really right. need sodium salts. What does it do? It does a lot of things. Let me tell you, the effect of salt on yeast bread, uh, it affects the color of the crust. If you lower the salt too much, you can't get a nice brown, even crust. It also affects the symmetry or the form of your loaf so that your corners kind of get rounded on the bread instead of a nice little sharp corner. Mm -hmm. And then it also, what we call the shred of the bread, if you've ever looked at a loaf of the bread on the side, it looks like shredded wheat. Well, that shred or that break on the bread goes wild, so you get a real rough-looking texture. Uh, it gives you, um, usually, uh, it'll shrink away from the side of the pan when it bakes if your so, uh, sodium is too low. Mm-hmm. Um, the evenness of the bake, it will have color streaks, so it won't be even. Um, it also ha- gives you a thinner, more tender and crisp crust, so it's kind of pale crust. Um, it has uh, more of a, a white crumb instead of, you know, so in some ways that's good and sometimes it's bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also, a lower salt will increase the aroma of the yeast. The fermentation is, is slowed so you get more of a real stronger yeasty aroma. And then, of course, the major function of salt is taste. It regulates the taste in a, in a bakery product. So it really affects a lot of different things. You're not just changing one thing, but you're it's changing its reaction. Yeah. Yeah. And so that compounded with the fact that we were now getting 50% whole grain, which was a heavier product, mm-hmm. and only 50% enriched wheat. So you had to balance that out. Uh, we were looking for ways to keep the color light because children are used to a lighter color bread and we didn't want to give them something real dark and brown. Then they kind of, they did, you know, they eat with their eyes first. Um, so we were able to, to find the white whole grain, mm-hmm. the whole white flour. And this white whole wheat was really a, a savior for us because here was a strain of grain that's been around for thousands of years. And it's just the fact that farmers started to use the red wheat. And so that was the darker color. And here was this white kernel that had been around but not really mass produced. And so the farmers started incorporating that. There was a greater demand for it. It's not a bleached flour. It's not a bromated flour, which, you know, some people were afraid of. That mm-hmm. that wasn't it. It's got all the nutrition of a regular red wheat. Uh, so we had didn't have to worry about the fact that we were losing nutrition when we were using it. Probably the greatest thing was that it became in such demand. Of course, the price was higher. So we were looking at something that added some cost. Yeah. yeah. Um, so our biggest challenge then was to start 
producing it and selling as much as we could because the more you can produce, the bigger the volume, the less cost per unit. So that was where we introduced it. And um, so those were some of the changes we had to make. Uh, But even with that, when you made a whole grain product, and we do it in pizza crusts, we do it in pizza dough, we do it in, gr- in the roll and the bread, and in our flatbreads, well, in the dough products especially, we had to train our people to work with them a little differently mm-hmm. um, because the heavier grain didn't rise as quickly. It needed more time. It needed more water added to it to rehydrate the grain because you had a denser grain. There were, you know, some things that when you were normally taking a white pizza dough and you're putting it out, we had it sheeted out and ready for them to bring out in the morning. It usually thawed overnight, covered in the refrigerator in the morning. You bring it out and put your toppings on it and let it rise and bake it off. Well, it didn't work as fast because it was heavier and it was going to yeah. take longer. Yeah. So we had to retrain a lot of people to work with it and certainly did a lot of troubleshooting with our team. And thank goodness for our dedicated team because I was able to work with them, give them the information they needed to go out to the customer and show them, okay, here's a little bit different. you got to temper that dough. you got to bring it up gradually. You can't force it with a lot of heat. It, wants, it needs a little more time. And, and there's um, just thousands of schools involved in this. And, and in addition, the formulations themselves, did you have to introduce new um, uh, additives to make up for the, um, the salt that we, you were taking out? Well, we we did uh, look for some alternatives, just like Red Gold did with their tomatoes. You know, mm-hmm. we tried to do some other experimenting with things, but we didn't want to add a lot of additives. I mean, it was we try to keep it as pure as we can on the label, so people understand what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but we did have to give it some kind of a little yeast food bump with a natural ingredient of some kind. Mm-hmm. And so those were some of the things that we were able to try and work with. Well, what, what's um, an example of, of a natural ingredient that can sort of, you know, feed the yeast? Um, well, probably one of the, um, uh, anything that has a little bit of sugar in it. Uh, one of the things we found that helped was honey, mm-hmm. um, because honey also helped to mask some of the bitterness of a whole grain. Yeah. And so by adding that into some of these, especially in our our rolls and bread, uh, we were able to put that in, and it had a pleasant taste, and it didn't add a lot of color, so we still had kind of a light-colored dough, um, and it gave the yeast a little extra sugar to to work on, um, and was a natural sugar, so it was converted quickly. Um, Those were the things that I think that we worked with the most, and then it was just a matter of adjusting some things in the manufacturing plant, some of the the ways you mixed it, the time it got on the line, you know, so that it might ha- you might have to give it a little more uh, time rather than speeding it through the process, uh, floor time, what we call it, um, and with the doughs right, uh, right. Be- before they go into the dividing and the shaping and the rolling and that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, that was all part of the things that we could do and adjust. Well, how- how long did all this R&D take? Oh, it was several years, actually. We yeah. took 
Um, we've gotten better because we've found some of the ways to, you know, adjust it more quickly. But in the beginning, you were looking at probably a couple of years on pizza doughs. I think wow. they were probably some of the more sensitive ones. And I think um, we worked with people like the Sodexo people that I think Lisa mentioned did in her, her broadcast mm-hmm. with you. Um, you know, they were willing to test a lot of the product. Um, and so we worked with them. But it, it took about, I think it took a couple of years to really get it to the stage that they felt comfortable with. Uh, and now we're doing our turnaround is much quicker because we've gotten used to some of these different kinds of ingredients that we can use, the different methods of mixing, uh, how much time we need to give it on the floor, the production, and that kind of thing. So, right. Right. you know, it has cut our time back, and we can, we're bringing things out faster now if we do need to introduce a new product. Yes. But, you've, um, but you've certainly illustrated how complex this is. Um, and and yeah. I have to say that, you know, the USDA asked industry to make dramatic changes in sodium and whole grain content at the same time that consumers really began asking for more natural ingredient profiles in school food. Um, And and as we know, there's no definition of natural, uh, at least not yet. The the FDA just announced that it's accepting public comments on this topic, whether or not we want a natural label. But (laughs) in the meantime, some K-12 processors are tackling us on our own, as we heard um, from David Riches is um, what uh, yeah. uh, rather uh, Red Gold is, but what is Riches' ap- approach to this challenge? Well, we uh, definitely have we have a uh, department we've put together called Health and Authenticity, mm-hmm. and uh, last year was I think the first year that we really had it in in the process and got the people together and what they're doing is taking a real good look at all of our ingredients and all of our labeling and and any uh, things that we consider consumer sensitive products or ingredients and those are things that the you know the media has brought to everybody's attention mm-hmm. we've removed things like caramel color from a lot of it because that looked that wasn't sounding natural uh, uh, bromate of course is out we're mm-hmm. not using that uh, things like like MSG and L-cysteine and uh, like pota- uh, potassium uh, uh, sorbate and things like that that we used to put in it years ago. Mm-hmm. And some of them, you know, we've taken out over the years and others, you know, uh, now they're on the list, you know. So in other words, they're on the list to, to take product, out. Yeah. We, ask, we have a list of banned ingredients from development. So mm-hmm. our food science people, our R&D people now look at that list and say, okay, those are out. We're not even going to look at them as an ingredient when we're developing a new product. Yes. Yeah. Um, and going to things that do sound like, you know, like say high fructose corn syrup, and some of those still kind of have a bad connotation. And so we've tried using sugar. You know, that's people understand what sugar they, they is. They know what it is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've, yeah. I've, I've spent a fair amount of time looking over the ingredients for all the staple whole grain rich items that Riches makes for schools, and I'm impressed. I find the labels uncluttered and close yeah. to what most of us would consider, quote, natural. Um, but I see that you're still using some industrial additives that I had to look up. Um, there's only uh-huh. four, and they don't, and none of them ever show up together in any one formulation. Um, three of them are used as dough strengtheners and conditioners. Um, mm-hmm. I, I wish we had time to talk about them all, but I, but I did ask you to pick one, and you said you right. wanted to talk about a substance called 
datum, which st- datum. Mm-hmm. datum stands for, I might mispronounce this, uh, <laughs> diacetyl tartaric ester, ester of monoglycerides. What, what, is, what is it? Yeah. Well, first of all, datum is an acronym for the, all those little things you don't just right. started to read. Right. Um, and it's actually it is a dough conditioner and an emulsifier, and it strengthens the the gluten fibers in the in the yeast products, so it does help them, you know, to hold the gases when they, it's rising, so that you have a lot of uh, a good texture and a good structure, and it gives a little bit of chewiness to the the bakery products. Uh, it's actually processed from soy, mm-hmm. uh, palm, and canola oil. So it's from an, for all from an, what we would consider pretty natural ingredients that people understand. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not something that's foreign. It's not made in a chemistry lab. It's actually something that is just processed out of some natural ingredients. And you'll see it in a lot of labels, um, things like mayonnaise and ice cream and mm-hmm. salad dressings. Uh, those all have it in there because it helps. It kind of has like a foaming agent te- and the texture of it makes it smooth and creamy and that kind of thing. Okay. So it, it's, a, it's a natural product that um, if you really had to put all that out there on the label that you read uh, would be kind of scary. But yeah, when you look yeah. at it, it's it's really part of a natural product. Process, well, uh-huh. I, I think some of these additives, if if there was a better way to describe them, might be less um, worrisome to parents. Yeah, um, so yeah, I think so. We mentioned the other day we were talking citric acid. You know, mm-hmm. that was one of the things that we actually. Uh, substituted when we got rid of potassium bronate in our dough products, and we went to the American Institute of Baking and said, "What can we, what can we use in there to really strengthen and, and condition our doughs? Because when we freeze the dough, we need a little bit longer shelf life once people start." moving it around the country. Mm-hmm. And so we took out the potassium bromate, which is, you know, said that we've got to take that out. And we put in the citric acid. Well, citric acid is vitamin C, which is pretty unscary when you say right. it that way. And we found out that, you know, okay, that was adequate for anything that we were doing. It was a pretty fresh life, you know, that we could we could distribute to our customers, we could feel comfortable with, and they like to read it on the label. So, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes that's what you have to do. You have to say, well, let's look at a different way of explaining it to the consumers so they don't feel like they're getting you know, something with chemicals in it. So, so maybe yeah. maybe the term citric acid should be followed by vitamin C in parentheses. Correct. Yeah, uh-huh. It, you know, just yeah. like, you know, datum could be used the same way. It would be a dough conditioner, mm-hmm. something that emulsifies your dough and gives it conditioning so it's stronger. Yeah. Uh, and that, I think, is a lot of it is education um, for the consumer to make them give a comfort level. And then also, just like with sodium, you know, you say it's a functional ingredient. We don't just throw it in there. It has to be in there in a certain balance to make everything work. Um, and if you don't have it in there, you know, the things I read won't occur. You won't get nice brown bread. You won't mm-hmm. get a nice texture, texture and, and it, it'll shrink, and it'll just do things that you don't want it to do. So um, it's still something that, and like you said, natural has never been defined. And, you know, and and it's the word like process. Process has become kind of a negative in some way. But, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're picking an apple, that's a process. If you're washing the apple, that's a process. Absolutely. Applesauce is processed. (laughs) (laughs) And if you cut it up, you process it, you know. So 
it's not that's not a term that you should be afraid of. Processed food is not bad food. It's a food that's made safer by processing. Uh, your body has to process it when you ingest it. You're all you have to process it. You can't just take the you know, you can't take that apple and just eat it. Your body's got to break it down, and so all the different organs can use it nutritionally. Right, you know? right. So, Shirley, we, we need to wrap up, but I, I, I haven't wanted to cut you off because this is so interesting, and, and I think oh, there's you. more to talk about with regard to bread and um, nutritional requirements and clean label going forward. But what? just briefly, one last question. Um, you know, if, if Congress decides that we have to proceed on schedule with target to sodium reduction, you know, would you say that that might involve for for riches scaling back or slowing down on your health and authenticity goals for clean label products? Or would you have to introduce new additives that you might not feel so great about? Well, I think that um, it will certainly mean that we're going to have to address the formulas again Mm -hmm. if we're going to reduce it down. Some of them we've already addressed. We do have some things now that just like with David was talking about that we can call low so, lower sodium and that's because we've met that second that second target. Uh, the nice thing was that one of the flexible things that USD came up, they did push that target two out in a second year. So mm-hmm. that helped us a little bit. It's given us a little more time for R&D to work on these things and work in conjunction with health and authenticity so we can take a look at it and see some of those things that are other manufacturers have incorporated uh well like the uh, potassium product that they used in red gold mm-hmm. maybe some of that would help us in our bread products and yeah. they're finding it acceptable and they're finding out that it was a good substitute we're working closely with and like the american institute of baking and some of those they've been working on it for years too so um we'll all become smarter we'll all work safer um, we certainly want you know our children to be fed the healthiest food they can have, and we have a common goal in that response. And and I think that's what's nice. Riches also is a family-owned company. We're very concerned about uh, doing the right thing with our customers, and so you know that's where we figure our, our rich experience with them is making that a partnership. Mm-hmm. And we've found over the years that that's what's worked for us and what has made us one of their preferred customers, you know, for them. So yeah. um, it it will be a challenge, but we'll meet it. Now that we are confident. Okay. Well, that's encouraging to hear. Um, and, you know, again, I feel like we only scratched the surface today, but we're off to a great start. So, Shirley, um, thank you so much for introducing us to the business of industrial scale bread baking today. You're welcome. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, You've been listening to Dr. Shirley Brown of Rich's Food Service, who joined us uh, for our first episode of Product Reformulation Revealed. Um, What other product categories would you like to know more about? Write to me at InsideSchoolFood.com and let me know. Um, And remember, if you're enjoying the show, please let us know by following us on social media. Inside School Food is on Twitter and on Facebook, or, or if you prefer, you can sign up for the Inside School Food mailing list, also on InsideSchoolFood.com. This is how we know who is listening, which helps us serve you better. Um, and it's very important to our wonderful supporter, Nutrislice, to have a sense of, of um, who they are reaching at the show. So, so thanks for that. Um, and I'm Laura Stanley. Thank you for listening. 
Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.